Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I'll be reading Ephesians 1, verses... Well, I'm going to actually start with verse 19 through verse 23. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And we are to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the One to come. And He, God, put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Blessed is the mystery unveiled through Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul's pen to us this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. And in this very complex couple sentences, help me unfold them. Help us all get what Your servant Paul intended for us to understand. It work in our hearts Oh, that the eyes of our hearts would see this glorious, hope-filled truth of Your power working in every single one of Your children. And that one day, we will be raised from the dead. The consummation of this authority will be seen throughout all creation, visible and invisible forever. Oh, let us glory in it this morning. Amen. We're in the middle of Paul's prayer, the way he prays for believers. And the way Paul ends this prayer, I find to be stunning. Stunning because what he says about God's very power working on behalf of every believer. But, but more than that, the power is working upon us who believe in Christ because we are those who exist as Jesus' very body. And so, the point of the prayer, and thus the Christian teaching that comes out of it, is that we are to know, understand with our minds, our intellect, but most particularly with our hearts, to grasp this power of God that is at work within the church. And therefore, that should cause us to examine our own lives. To see if we are in the faith. 
at the end of his prayer, in verse 22 and 23, Paul says, God put all things under Christ's feet. And God gave Christ as head over all things to the church. He gave Him to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. If that's true, then why is the visible church filled with self-professing Christians who are living in unrepentant sexual immorality? Fornication. Adultery. If it's true, why are there so many professing Christians within the church that are absolutely enslaved to alcohol or recreational drug abuse? If it's true, why are there so many churchgoers who are week by week, month by month, and year by year destroying their marriages through uncontrolled, sinful outbursts of Anger. If it's true, why are there church people, the body of Christ where the power of God is working, when marriages are slowly crumbling because the wife is month after month, year after year, not attentive to the husband? Or the husband to his wife. And there are many, many more of us quote-unquote Christian people that are utterly worldly. Wasting our time and our lives and our money on excessive entertainment over Bible study. Instead of prayer. To the exclusion of relationships in the body of Christ, of urging one another on in the faith. Why are there so many that ignore Jesus' constant words through the Gospel about where your money is and where you invest it? There's where your real affections and heart are or are not. Why are there so many that... God in the kingdom has none of their money because they don't pay attention to the biblical principle of stewardship of their life and their resources of first fruits. We go on and on. See, the question is, where's God's mighty power that Paul tells us about here in the life of the body of Christ? Flip through the internet. The answer for many within today's church world is, it's over there. It's here. It's through this great ministry. There's the power of God working. It's through this new movement. You go to this healing and miracle working service. That's the power of God. I've been around as a Christian for 35 years and I've been in the midst of that and I am thoroughly unimpressed. And we also see this kind of idea about 
the power of God working in the church, even in what is called over the last decade the young, restless, and reformed movement. For many, the power of God is that charismatic celebrity pastor. There's the power of God. Got to be on his podcast. I got. I, I got to get fed. I got to read the books because it's him. And then, as time goes on, as we're finding out more and more, one after the other, it's been caught in adulterous relationships, revealed after years of abuse of Christians under their care, in order to step upon them to promote their ministries as if they were a music icon who has to protect their label. And the world mocks. Rightly so. So how can we reconcile what Paul says about God's mighty power and authority bestowed on the Lord Jesus Christ for the benefit of the church over against what we so often see in the greater church? church world. And what you see and I see in our own individual lives of a daily battle against sin. Let me just say, the beginning, got to hear me? The beginning of the answer, not the whole answer. But a beginning of the answer is this. When Paul writes what we are reading, he is not referring to every person who claims to be a Christian. He is referring to those who belong to the universal body of Christ because of their real, their genuine, their supernatural union with Jesus via new birth. So, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And as we now, over the next 50 minutes, listen to this passage as it unfolds, test ourselves to see the beauty. To see the beauty that is right here about what the church, the body of Christ, those called out of darkness into this world by the absolute mercy of God that He enacted in the work of Jesus Christ and applied by the Spirit and what He tells us about His precious body. Okay, so are you there? Chapter 1, Ephesians. To remember the context from last week. Paul's in the middle of the prayer. He says, this is how I constantly pray for you who are Christians. That you would see and grasp more and more, deeper and deeper, three huge theological truths. The first, we saw that you would grasp the hope that is laid up for you in the future. The hope of the Gospel. The second thing, that we would grasp that we, the church, believers, are God's inheritance and He will inherit us. 
And then the third thing is what we concentrate on this morning starting with verse 19. That you would know what is the impossible to measure greatness of His power toward us who believe. That power which is according to the working of His great might that He worked. When? When He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He, God, put all things in submission to or under the feet of Jesus. And He gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all and all. We're to know that. That's complex. So I want to start with the end. Because at the end of this passage, in verses 22 and 23, I think is Paul's high point of our position in Christ. So notice, Paul says, the church is Christ's body. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy. We know here's my head, here's my body. And He gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body. Okay, God gave us a gift. Uh, the NIV translates it appointed. It's wrong. He gave Jesus to the church. He gave Jesus as head. Sovereign over all demonic powers and demonic realms to the church, to us believers. And then He makes it clear that we, the church, are Christ's body. He's the head. We're attached to Him very personally. And the word church in the New Testament never ever refers to a building. Look at that pretty church over there, or the church. There were no such things as never referring to a building, nor is it referring to a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It's always referring to people. The people that Paul says in Ephesians are the chosen, the adopted, the born again by the Spirit, believers, the church. And now notice. Paul says that at the end, Christ fills all and all. What's that mean? See? The church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and all. Well, the answer to what Paul means, I'm convinced, is right there, found in the context of what He has said before that last phrase. He fills all in all. So, in short, this is what I think it means, and we'll go look at it. 
Paul is saying that right now, when he wrote it, and right now, today, our resurrected, our ascended to the right hand of all authority in the universe, that human being, Jesus, He is over. He is in sovereign control of every realm in the universe. Unseen universe of spirituality also. The reason I say that is what He says before. Verse 19, And we are to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all demonic realms. Or non-fallen angelic realms. All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. So don't miss those words. He raised Him. Jesus Christ has not only been raised, He has ascended to the Father. He is seated there far above every possible title, name, dominion, power, authorities, evil or non-evil. And He fills all Hold on to those words because I want you to just flip a page over if you have a page still to see what Paul says in chapter 4. As you, as you hear those words, you're hearing a reflection of it again. It's going to help us understand what he's getting at. In chapter 4, starting with verse 8, Paul writes, And when He, Christ, ascended on high... Or not seated at the right hand of the Father in our in chapter one. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. And in insane, he, Christ, ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. Okay. All he's saying is. What does that mean other than through the womb of Mary, that Son, the Eternal One, became one of us, a human being, and came to earth just like you and me, and was killed, and was raised, and ascended. That's all He's saying. So all that stuff other people have told you, if they have told you about the depths of hell, it's just not what Paul is talking about. He, ascend, he descended. He became incarnate. He became one of us. So in saying that He ascended, because we're talking about not His divinity, you've got to get this, Paul is emphasizing His humanity of the Divine One. He ascended. What does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended 
is the One who also ascended far above the heavens that He might fill all things. So, Paul is saying that the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus, the human being ruling David's son, the king, He is ruling precisely because He became human and suffered and died and rose and ascended and conquered death. Broke its power. And He says here in chapter 4, He freed many captives from the ultimate power of death and sin. And then at the end Paul says, He did this in order that He might fill all things. And so here, Paul is clear that Jesus' filling all things is accomplished by His rising from the dead and ascending above all the heavens. Of everything. Above all things as the victor is the king of all his enemies. Every power and dominion. And so, Paul's essentially saying right there in chapter 4, the same thing he said in our text in chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Paul is describing Jesus' kingly, sovereign rule over the universe. Over everything that is created seen or unseen. So let's read it again slowly, starting with verse 20, chapter 1. The power that He worked in Christ when He... Okay, and you can see in your mind chapter 4 what He says there. When He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, that's His way of saying He is absolute King. Sovereign. And He did it, seated Him far above every or all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. This is Paul's way of encompassing all spiritual powers. All satanic and demonic powers. Any earthly power. All of it. He is sovereign over. Not only in this age, but also in the One to come. So what Paul is doing, he's making it clear that this human being is exalted to the place of absolute power over all creation for all eternity. Right now. Even though we don't yet see, that's how Paul puts it right in Corinthians, even though we don't yet see all things in subjection to Him, they are. 
You will see it in the future. But he is ruling sovereignly, precisely, according to his will and plan right now. Just I want to get into Paul's mind a little bit more about this dynamic and turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. Listen to Paul talk about this same dynamic of Jesus' ruling. Start with verse 22. As in Adam, all die. He's our representative. We all sinned in Him, and we all sinned, and thus we all die. So also in Christ, who is our representative of the Gospel. Oh my. So also in Christ, you shall all be made alive. He's referring here to the physical resurrection of the dead. But, but, but each in his own order. See, not us yet. Christ has been raised. The only human being who's ever been resurrected from the dead at this point. He's just the, the first fruits. But then at His coming, His second coming, those who belong to Christ will rise. And then comes the end when He, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. You see... Jesus, right now, in this pres- over this present evil world, is sovereign, but He must reign and He is reigning until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. had not happened yet. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. Paul quotes Psalm 8.6. Now Paul then comments. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is clear or plain that He, that is God, the divine nature is not included there. That's what he's saying. It's clear that the divine nature, the one who put all things in subjection to this resurrected human being, who in his person happens to be divine, is not under subjection. When all things are subject to Christ on that future day, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him. So that God may be all in all. Okay, so... In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 10, it says all this happened. Resurrection, ascension, everything is put under subjection. He's ruling now. It happened in order that Christ might fill all things. Just like He says in chapter 1, verse 23. The church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all. All in all. So Jesus is filling all things. That means He fills all things with His sovereign, kingly power at the right hand 
of God. That right hand stuff, all that is is language to say, He's King! He's in authority. That's what He's doing. That's what all things mean. Jesus is in absolute sovereign control with the right to enforce His authority and His power any way He so chooses. He's above, Paul says, all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, all demons. God put all things under His feet. Jesus is head over all things. That means He is absolute sovereign over them all. And so Paul then tells us, this resurrected man, the eternal second person of the Trinity, who became a human being, suffered and died for you. It's what he said in chapter 1, right? His, through His blood. is sovereign over all things. And God gave Him, if you're a believer, He gave Him to you. His head. Ruler over all. To you who are parts of His one body. That's the power. Paul prays that believers get this Christ will sovereignly fill every realm. Seen and unseen, present, future, this age, the age to come. And you'll fill it with His power and His authority precisely according to His dictate. Is anybody like that yet? Okay. Now the shocking but highly encouraging part of this passage. See it again. Start with verse 22. God put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all things. The church, Paul says, is Christ Jesus' body. It's the fullness of Him. You remember what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul who was not yet an apostle on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you talking about, Jesus? I never touched you. The one who spoke to him, the one who appeared to him on the road to Damascus, was the one who took to himself true humanity, true mortality, and in his mortal humanity and body, he was persecuted, he was tortured, and he was killed, and he felt it, that person who has been resurrected and seated 
with sovereign authority over all, says to the persecutor of the church, Paul, when you drag Martha or Billy or Sandy or Jacob into prison, or you stand there holding coats while Stephen is being stoned, while you're going to Damascus in order to imprison more of these Jews who are believing in Me, Paul, you persecute Me. Jesus feels When, when ISIS cuts the heads off of Christians in Egypt, it's very personal to Jesus. When you, in the Disneyland of America, are slandered, it's very personal. To Jesus. He identifies with each and every believer. This is the one who said, when you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, You've done it unto me, whether good or bad. Jesus is humanity. His resurrected body is ascended. And He sits on the throne in sovereign authority now. But He has a body on earth. It's us who believe. The church of Jesus Christ is the physical form of Christ's presence on earth. Precisely because those persons are indwelt with His Spirit. So if you're a believer, I don't like to command people this, but I'm, I, I just at least glance. Don't, even, don't move your head. No one will know you're actually obeying me. But look at your hand. Okay, you can move your eyes. Look at it. Or your leg. Every believer, everything you see there is really a part of Jesus' body. And this is why sexual immorality is so damaging. Now, that would be a bold statement to merely draw inferences from the text. So I'm just going to let Paul do it. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, 
starting with verse 15. Do you, Corinthian church, do you not know that your, here's the context, physical bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined sexually to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Paul says to the church, if you belong to Christ. You are a member. You are a part of His body. And the parts of your body are parts of Christ's body. So much so that if you are committing fornication with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or homosexual activity or adultery, you drag Jesus Himself into bed with you. And you are causing Him by being His body to be doing what you do. And thus, Paul ends that section in Corinthians. Flee. He didn't just say, stop, turn away. Okay. Flee means you're looking... At Facebook, walking across the street, unaware, until the last moment you see a car bearing down on you at 75 miles an hour, and you flee! Flee sexual immorality. That's Paul's conclusion. To the theology that we are Christ's body. And so then, back in Ephesians, Paul, he puts it all together. Saying the church is Christ's body on earth and Christ, Jesus, fills all in all with His sovereign authority. So, what does he mean when he says the church is the fullness of Christ? The fullness of Him who fills everything with His sovereign rule. I, I think it just seems clear that Paul's saying the church is Christ's fullness by which He is filling all things, all in all. In other words, Christ is ruling as King, as Sovereign One at God's right hand, and He is expressing His authority over all things to make Himself known over rulers and powers and dominions over every realm. And He's doing it through the fullness of Himself that is through the church which is filled with Christ. Now, to do what really helps me just, just feel confident about that 
is what Paul will say just a couple paragraphs later, okay? In chapter 3. Starting with verse 8, Paul writes, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, got to get this now. What's the content here? The content is there's a message, there's teaching, there's truth about God's plan from the ages past that's now unveiled. Okay. And he says, and for me to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And now this is stunning. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul's picture of Christ reigning and filling all things. How are demons seeing it? Okay, I, I hate it, but I've got to jump forward to the next sermon because there's no chapter 2 in Ephesians. He starts to unfold how they're seeing it. We were all born into sin following the evil course of this world. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, our eyes were blinded. You will never see the Gospel and ever be saved. But God, being rich in mercy, raised us up with Christ. That's where this theology leads. Jesus is reigning. And if you are saved, that's why He saved you utterly by grace. Because without Him ruling over demonic powers or Satan who blinds the minds of the unbelievers, you would still be an unbeliever. He is filling all things and demonic realms see you. They see your response. They couldn't hold you because you were, according to Paul, in the context chosen and predestined and thus adopted by the blood of Christ and sealed through the Holy Spirit. That is the human Jesus reigning and the Spirit being unleashed to bring it about. So you've got to get the picture what Paul is saying. Jesus came, suffered, died for sin, was raised, and He's ascended. And He says, go church. And so the Gospel is then preached. And the elect are called to faith. They're born again. They're made alive by the Spirit. 
And the wisdom of God is being made known through those people, His body, the church, to the rulers and the authorities in the spiritual realms, those demonic forces mainly He's talking about. The same ones He talked about in chapter 1 of our text, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Do you remember what Paul said back in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1? Making known to us, the church, the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time in order to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. And so He's telling us now, Christ is reigning. He's reigning right now in this, over this present evil world. He's reigning before His second coming. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. His plan of subduing all things to Himself is in operation right now. That's what Paul says in 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold contours of the Gospel, of the wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is all believers. It's everyone who has been born again. And they know because I believe the Gospel. It is those people that in their community, they are a light in the dark world of their family and workplace and cultures. And it's a witness to demonic realms. It's okay. my best shot. That's what I think Paul means in verse 23 of our text when he says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who is filling all things with His authority. And so, taking everything now that Paul has said, starting back at verse 3, all the way through verse 23, Paul is saying, God through Jesus Christ, is demonstrating His glory by making the church His megaphone sounding out through the darkness of this universe. He's saying Jesus presently is filling all in all by showcasing His authority, His glory through His body on earth, the church. How? As those persons in the context who have been chosen, predestined, adopted, born again, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and thus are the voice of this great Gospel. Jesus is subduing all things as the head of His body. That brings me hope. Now I'll just go back to the way I started the sermon. 
is the power of God that He says we're supposed to know and He just unfolded here working in you. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And see, the answer is not in the extravagant. The answer, yeah, it's working in me. I go to a church where the power of God is there in the service, so I feel good about that. I go to church that's got all kinds of programs, and I'm part of that, so I'm there. No, not necessarily. The power of God working in the body, in each and every part, is not in the hurricane wind. It's mainly in the still, quiet voice. It's in the so-called mundane of your life. The small things. We can build ministries in the name of Jesus. And you can find out down the road of viciousness towards His body in order to get there. You can find out that some of those whose ministries are built upon giftings God has given destroy marriages through having sex with other people's spouses. It's not in the extravagant. It's in your day to day trusting in Christ. Hating your sin. Jesus, He said it this way. You want to know my power? I want the world to see my power. Guys, by this, shall all people know that you are my disciples. By your loving, caring about one another. It's not extravagant. And every part of the body is part of it. The woman who has no gifting to speak, but oh, she can cook. She can pray. She's sweet. She knows how to give a look or a pat on the back. Don't take it lightly in comparison to someone you see on the internet. It is in our daily drawing near to God as desperate people to overcome our flesh and sinful nature by delighting in what we have just read. It isn't begging God to say, don't let me hear sermons like this and be lost and bored. Or when you read it yourself at home, God open the eyes of my heart that I may behold beauty. Satan, 
every demonic realm and hierarchy and your own sin nature have all been put under the feet of Jesus is the message of this text. And thus they've been put under the feet of His body, us. He's ruling and He's reigning. And that's our hope in our daily walk. And so Paul prays for all believers, oh, that you would get it. You would see it with the internal eyes of your hearts that you'll know the truth no matter, especially in your dark times, especially when you're overcome with your sin, you'll know the power of Christ that says, Jesus paid it all and I believe it and I'm turning again and again and again. He is working that way because He's sovereign. And He hasn't left us. He has sent His Spirit and His Word. He's working powerfully in marriages. Precisely because we husbands find out as we read what Paul will say a page later, love your wives as Christ loved the church and we turn purple. I guess that's worse than red. Because I don't do that. Jesus, help me. Work in me. Let me see you as husband to me better. This. This is the power that we are to know in our daily lives. As Paul will say it later, it is in your daily growing in your maturity in Christ, with the knowledge of Christ by the Spirit, in church, speaking the truth to one another in love. All things. Here's our hope. Here's our hope. If you're growing in Christ, you're feeling your sinfulness more. And here's our hope. Everything has been put under the feet of Jesus, who is the head over all our enemies, which is even our flesh. But therefore, we can go off into the world and school our children, do business, work, and be solid church members, talk to neighbors. We can go off into all the world and make disciples teaching them everything Jesus taught us. Because all power and all authority has been given to Him. Father, thank You. We thank You for such a Savior. We thank You that You did not spare Your own eternal Son. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your willingness not to, as Paul would say, to, to refuse to become human, but You humbled Yourself and became one of us forever. You took to Yourself our humanity, yet without sin. You humbled Yourself even to the point of obedience of going to the cross to suffer the wrath of God. Oh, Father, You have shown forth Your power by raising Him from the dead.
seating Him on the throne of the universe for the benefit of the church. No matter what happens in our culture that we live in now or any time, present or future, we are assured the victory. So keep us one at a time, one church at a time, one denomination at a time, one group at a time, faithful. Faithful to be the body through whom you are showcasing your power through the knowledge of the Gospel to the glory of your Son.